Now you may be seated. I invite you now to join me in taking your copy of God's Word and turn with me to our passage this morning, uh, back in the book of Proverbs chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 20 through 33 together. So Proverbs 1, 20 uh, through 33. Of course, we're continuing in our summer series in this book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. Lord willing, the plan right now, uh, looking ahead, is we will do this through some portion of the summer. As we get close to the fall time, we will transition into studying the book of Ecclesiastes. And so um, I pray, appreciate your prayers on that. That's a, Ecclesiastes is a rather daunting book, so um, I appreciate your prayers on that. But this morning, we are still in the book of Proverbs. And Lord willing, we will grow together in the wisdom of God through our time together in this book about the wisdom of God. We look at Proverbs 1, 20 through 33. Let me pray for us, and we'll come together in God's word together. So let's pray. Lord, we do come to you, and we just say, my Jesus, I love thee. And I pray that is the true uh, heart confession of all of us here this morning, that we indeed love you. Not that we love things about you, not that we just love the idea of you, but we actually love you because you first loved us. We love you because of how much you first loved us. And so through that love of you, may we come together to your word this morning so we can hear more about your love, understand it, and understand it in your wisdom. So Lord, may I only speak this morning of your truth and of your love. May your people this morning only hear your truth and your love. And may our lives continue to be changed and conformed by that. Do this work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs 1, 20 through 33, we'll stand together now for the reading of God's word. Wisdom cries loud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance at the city gate, she speaks. How long, those simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you, because I have called, and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Today we begin this morning talking about the children. I want you. I want you to imagine the scenario of a hot southern summer afternoon that we're starting to feel more and more. And the heat of the afternoon, you come upon this field, 
And there are thousands, six, seven, eight thousand people gathered in this field. And you join in with them. And you find that up in the middle of this crowd is this man. You can barely see his head above the rest of everybody else just because he's standing on the stump. And this man is passionately and ably preaching the gospel. And people are gathered together for hours to hear him preach. Can you imagine that scenario? That no matter or wherever this man goes, no matter the time of day, the season, the weather, wherever he goes, thousands will flock to the field or meadow where he is just to hear him preach. And even a famous actor today said, I would pay thousands of dollars just to be able to say the word, oh, like he does. It's quite the scenario. It's hard for us to imagine something like that happening in our day and time. We have shorter attention spans and we have air conditioning. So why would we want to stay on a hot summer field for hours on end? But it's a real scenario. It really happened. You may remember learning in school about the Great Awakenings, the first Great Awakening and the second Great Awakening. Great Awakening. You learn about it, maybe you read about some historical books. It's even referenced in devotionals. Especially the great first great awakening, it was that time that God used to bring a revival to our nation, very early on in our history, back in the mid-16th century. God used pastors in their preaching to revive the hearts of the people, to bring them under the conviction of their sin, to lead them to faith and on the path of repentance, and to live in a newness of life in Christ. And just going on a rabbit trail quickly about the historical nature of this. You know, we always talk about our, our nation being founded as a Christian nation. It's interesting to look at the history and see how soon in the, in the history of our nation we needed revival. How soon after the, the Puritans and the Pilgrims came over that God needed to send a revival to the people of our early nation. But it was a glorious time. It was a glorious chapter to our national history. Especially as you study the First Great Awakening, you, you hear names such as Jonathan Edwards, right? And, and, and sermons in the hand, or, or sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God. You hear about William and Gilbert Ten, and Tennant. These men were faithful pastors, uh, really up in the, in the in New England area, who God used to bring revival to their churches, and their people went out and began to tell others, hey, you've got to come, come hear my preacher. And they saw, these people saw the changed lives of people, so they would come to the church. So God was using these pastors' churches uh, to revive his people here in America. But as we talked about the children this morning, there's another important name to add to this list, and that's the name of George Whitfield. And Whitfield is different from these others in that he didn't have a pulpit to preach from. He comes from England. He was actually kicked out of church in England because they didn't like his preaching style. Uh, so he hops on a boat, comes over here, and he travels up and down the eastern seaboard, finding local fields and meadows where he would climb up on a stump and begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And wherever he went and where he, wherever he would preach, thousands would flock to hear it. It was, like a, it was like a little Presbyterian woodstock taking place, just without all the nudity and mud around, right? But he would gather, these people would gather and he would publicly preach for hours about the grace of salvation in Jesus Christ, a salvation that changes hearts and eternities and how a changed heart lives a changed life. Very public preaching to thousands of people, many of them being changed by this preaching. We come to our passage this morning and we find a similar scenario. 
that uh, we believe this is Solomon writing this part of Proverbs, takes wisdom and he portrays wisdom as an open air preacher. Now it's interesting because wisdom is talked about as a lady. It's a lady who boldly goes out to the public to do two things. To talk about the blessings of following God's wisdom and the curses that come when we ignore it. It's a very simple message when you read through it. Here are the blessings of following God's wisdom and here's the curses that come when we ignore it. What we find the emphasis is that it's a very public ministry. And this is making a kind of a marked uh, transition because Proverbs opens up very much like a father-son conversation. Like we said, like a father-son on a path to the woods to their favorite fishing hole. And the father is telling the son all about the wisdom that he has accrued over his life. Now we're making a transition from this one-on-one sort of conversation to a very public sharing of it. And we see the public nature of it in, in the first couple of streets, or first couple of verses that Wisdom is crying out in the street. She goes over to the market. She's crying out there. She's found on noisy street. She's found the entrance to the city. Again, we find that scripture is painting this picture for us. First, this picture of a bustling street, maybe like midtown Manhattan, where people are going this way and that way. And some are rushing along. Some are strolling. Some are chatting one another. But it's packed with people. And they're coming back and forth. And right in the middle of it, Wisdom climbs up on a stool and begins to publicly share the wisdom of God. Then it cuts to the next scene, which is a marketplace. And you've got all these booths set up and people are going back and forth and they're, they're bartering, they're buying, they're selling, they're making deals, they're, they're yelling loudly about a bad deal. And right in the middle of it, here comes wisdom and she sets up a stool, climbs up on it, begins to share the wisdom of God. Then we cut to the next scene. And we're brought to the entrance of the city. Somebody it's like an archway. And then there's uh, wooden doors that are open. But the entrance of the city was the public forum for counsel and judgment. It's the place where the elders of the town would often meet. So again, we, we imagine this archway with wooden doors that are open. And all these gray-haired and bearded and wrinkled men shuffling along with their canes and walkers. And they're talking about things in the town. And right in the midst of them comes wisdom and she stands up on her stool, and she begins to share the wisdom of God. The author here is making sure that we get the picture. This is as public as you can get. This is as public of a declaration as you can get. And it's a public declaration of the wisdom of God. And really, in this context, it is covering every part of public life. Streets, noisy streets, markets, the, the, uh, the city gates, the, the, the entrance to the city. This is, is every part of public life that's being described. And who's in the middle of it? It's wisdom. And what's wisdom doing? Very publicly sharing the wisdom of God. So here we're given the nature of God's wisdom that is not to be hidden. It doesn't want to be hidden. We hear so often now in politics that, you know, we're, we're going to be a transparent administration. We're going to be transparent about our motives. And transparency has almost become like a joke now, right? But this is the perfect picture of transparency. The author is saying to us, you want to know about God's wisdom? Well, go to church. It should be preached from the pulpit. However, it should be out in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the public as well. It can be talking about private, it can be in the pulpit, but it should be right out there in the streets. And God's wisdom isn't some secret. 
You don't have to join the club and learn the secret handshake and, and, and get the membership card to learn about it. It's public. It's not hidden away. It's right here in his word. We want to we share it with as many as possible. So it's a very public, it's a very public wisdom. But there's a graciousness to this public nature of it as well. I don't know, you may be like me, but when I think of an open-air public preacher, I think about those people who step on street corners and they wear the signs that says, you're going to hell. And it almost says like, ha, 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 at the end of it. And they've got bullhorns and they're yelling at you and it's like they're finding so much joy and telling you and you and you that you're going to hell. When we were living in Moreland, we would go to downtown Noonan to do things and it had a square there. And every so often they, they would be there and they would set up and you would just walk right by them. I would stop and listen for a minute. I just had interest as a Christian, as a pastor, but just move on because there was nothing gracious in what they were saying. It's like they got excited to get out and tell people they were going to hell. But that's not what we're having here. This isn't a picture. There's a graciousness to this. Wisdom isn't taking pleasure and saying, here are the curses. It's taking pleasure and talking about the blessings. But loves us enough to say, here are the curses that come with disobedience. And graciousness involves us telling someone there are consequences to their actions. If your child was making a beeline to walk straight into the bonfire, what's the most gracious thing you can do? Eh, they've got to learn the hard way. No, the gracious thing is to say, stop. It's not good for you to walk into the fire. So there's graciousness in telling us that, there's some, that there are consequences to our actions. And Lady Wisdom, talking about these consequences, talks about three kinds of people. The simple ones, the scoffers, and the fools. And the idea here is to identify which group you belong in. Now maybe you're a Christian, so you're not all the way in the group. But you may have some tendencies that come from that group. So the idea here is to say, okay, here is God's wisdom telling me to do some some self-examination to see how I am dealing with his wisdom. So he talks about the simple ones. The simple ones are those who are undercommitted. They don't really have a firm grasp of what they're living for. They They just tend to go with the flow and kind of conform to whatever is around them. So they're not necessarily bad folks. They may be people who actually go to church. They're just not going to fully commit themselves to Christ and God's wisdom. They're going to try and straddle the fence. So they're undercommitted, but they may be open to learning more about it. Then we come to the fool. The fool is different. The fool is stubborn. The fool is one who doesn't listen. He always knows better always has an excuse. Nothing is ever his fault. He has the answer to every question, but he's never the reason for the question. And I don't know about you, again, speaking for myself, these people can aggravate me. People who always have the answers and they're never at fault. And what this passage is saying is that these people, these fools, they're the ones who look God's wisdom square in the face and they have the audacity to think that they know better than God. 
Now they may say the right answers, but their lives really show what they think of God's wisdom. They may know their catechism. They may win the Bible, the Bible sword quiz, sword drill. But their lives really show what they think of God's wisdom. Then they're the scoffers. These are the worst of the bunch. They're aggressive. They're cocky. They're calculating. They can seem impressive. They can also be successful. But they're going to be some of the first ones who stab you in the back the first chance they get. And these are the ones who outwardly mock the wisdom of God. At every chance they show their disdain for God and his so-called wisdom. And to their credit, they're not even going to try to hide it. They just, they have no use for it. And if you notice the way wisdom talks about these threes, there's really only hope for one. It's the simple mind. The fools and the scoffers are headed to sure destruction because they, they consistently refuse to listen to God's wisdom. But it's the simple ones that have a chance. See, the other two, they delight in turning against God. They, they hate God. But the simple has the choice of living, of loving God's wisdom. Now, again, it's easy for us to sit here and think about how other people fit in this category. That person's a simple one. That one's a fool. That one's a scoffer. I'm not pointing anybody in particular. It's kind of general. I'm pointing over your heads. I'm not saying it's about anybody in here. But it's easy for us to sit here and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, They're definitely in this category. But biblical wisdom is not for us to look at other people. Biblical wisdom is for us to look at ourselves. And say, I profess faith in God. And I want to live out his wisdom, but, but what, what tendency do I have here? Is my tendency to give the right answers, but, but my life shows what I really think of God's wisdom? Maybe my tendency is I just live in an all-out open defiance of God's wisdom. Or maybe it's your, like the simple one that you haven't fully committed to God's wisdom. What a graciousness is that although the scoffers and the fools will always refuse to hear, the Holy Spirit will, all, will open the ears of the simple. Look at what he said in Proverbs one twenty three: If you turn my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make your words known to you. Have you ever messed up big time? Like when you were younger and you knew you had to go home and tell your parents, you thought your parents were going to kill you, not figuratively, but literally, you thought your life might be on the line. Are you afraid that the cops were going to put handcuffs on your wrists? Or you may lose your spouse and maybe your children. Have you ever messed up that big? And in the middle of it, someone came to you and said, look, this is bad, but I, I think we can fix this. I think we can work it out. So when you come home and confess it to your parents and you're expecting to be beat to death and they say, no, this is bad, but I think we can, we can work with this. Or the, handcuff, the handcuffs weren't put on your wrists. Your, child, your, your spouse chose to put faith and love first above all else. See, that's what Lady Wisdom is publicly declaring here. Even as Christians, even if we have these traits, we can turn away from them. If we're not a Christian and we find that we're in one of these categories, we can turn from it. It's like it's, like, it's telling us, like, you, you may not have listened to God's wisdom before. You may, have, you may have heard it and not heed it. You may even follow parts of it and refuse to follow all of it. But if you listen to me, 
and you turn from your simple ways, and there is hope. You know, the word turn uh, occurs a good bit in the Bible. You may think of the bird singing, turn, turn, turn from Ecclesiastes, right? But the word turn is instrumental in our understanding to this passage. Because it's a word that's associated with, with, uh, with repentance. So it's not a sentimental word, it's a decisive word. It's a word of action. It's a word that means we make the decision that my own wisdom and the wisdom of the world isn't working. So the only good and true wisdom is God's wisdom. So I'm going to turn to follow that. I'm going to make the decision to start following after God's wisdom. It's, 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 it's in a sense, if you follow with me, a, a very physical, spiritual turning, if that makes sense to you. That here's your wisdom. Here's the wisdom of the world. And you realize this isn't working for me. So you turn. You turn from that wisdom and you turn to God's wisdom. That's what the father is telling his son in the previous passages about wisdom. That's what Lady Wisdom is declaring here. In a very public way, is saying you have a choice to make. We all have a choice to make today and tomorrow, the next day and the day after. And that choice is what wisdom will you follow? It's not, it's not a choice we just make one day and it sticks with us. It's a choice we have to make. This turn is a repetitive turn. We have to choose what wisdom we will always turn to. I've always found it funny that, that part of my call is a pastor's counseling. In the three-year program for the MDiv, which took me five years to get through, but the three-year MDiv program, they give you a semester of counseling. Kind of push you out and say, good luck with that. Um, but I enjoy counseling for the most part. What I don't enjoy in counseling is seeing people recognize their destructive habits, their sinful habits, and they refuse to give it up. They can tell you, here's my sin, here's the damage it does, but I'm going to keep on living in it, even as it wrecks havoc in them and all around them. And they come up with every excuse of why they're choosing their own wisdom for the sin over God's. And it takes so much in me to hold my sarcasm and say, well, how's that working out for you? I turn that sarcasm to myself because I often say to myself, so, McManus, how's that sin working out for you? And then I answer myself, well, McManus, it's not working out very well. And then I just sound crazy because I'm referring to myself in the third person out loud. But everyone has the choice to make of who they choose to follow. Do you choose to follow the God you profess faith in and his wisdom? Or do you choose to follow after sinful wisdom and that of the world's? The sad thing is, all of us, all of us have seen over and over again where ignoring God's wisdom will take you. We can all think of that person and the ruins of their lives and their faith because they've refused to follow after God and his wisdom. We may even have monuments of that ruin in our own lives. We know how the story ends because it always ends the same way. They never live happily ever after. Turning away from God and his wisdom always leads to destruction and devastation, yet we find that we keep on lying to ourselves, don't we? It's going to be different for us. This sin won't hurt, but it always hurts. 
Well, this sin won't cause damage. It always causes damage. Well, this sin doesn't really count because it's such a little sin. That sin always counts. I have control over this sin. We remember that quote, sin will always take you further you want to go, keep you there longer than you want to stay, and do far much more than you ever expected it to do. Every lie we tell ourselves that keeps us away from obedience is a lie straight from the pit of hell that still reeks of brimstone and smoke. So wisdom is asking us, what wisdom do you choose? Everybody has a choice. It's one of two. Because the choice has consequences. We'll start in verse 24. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish comes upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge. They did not choose to fear the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Sounds rather harsh, doesn't it? I'm going to laugh at you. I'm going to mock you. There's a couple things to keep in mind here. This is, lazy, this is lady wisdom talking. This isn't God. And what I mean by that is we heed what she says. But whenever we repent, God will listen. This isn't God saying like, okay, if you realize you make a mistake and you turn to me, you're not going to find me. No, 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 no. That's not what's saying here. When we repent, God will always honor that. What it's saying is there are consequences to not heeding God's wisdom. And there's going to be a point where we disobey long enough and we go further along that path, we turn to look for it, it won't be there. And that's a hard truth for us at times, but it's the truth here. If we get far enough away, if we continue down this path of obedience, there's going to be one day we're going to try and look and it cannot be found. But the other thing we need to keep in mind is that what's being said here is very gracious. As we said earlier, it's gracious for us to remind someone we know and love that there are consequences to their actions. It's unloving for us not to do that. We say with our children, if we see a child walk into the fire, the most ungracious thing we can do is say, hey, they need to learn life the hard way. The most gracious thing is to grab them and rescue them and say, no, look, there are consequences to that. So the grace here is that we are reminded that there are consequences to not following God's wisdom. When we don't follow God's way, it never ends well. That's why Jesus teaches us in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We can think of it this way, obeying God is good, disobeying him is bad. And, and, and how he describes it, how it's described this is what happens when we don't follow God's wisdom. There's calamity, there's terror, there's spiritual storms, there's emotional whirlwinds, there's distress and anguish. Sign me up for that. It sounds like fun. If you could put all that on a cruise ship for a week from me on that, I'd love to do that. None of us would sign up for something like that. He has exactly what we sign up for when we don't heed God's wisdom. We're inviting these things into our lives. Ray Orland wrote a commentary on this, and he, he tells a story about a friend of his named Ted. And Ted was a hippie, 
in California back in the mid-60s, which means he was a real legit hippie, right? Uh, he became a Christian. And Ted, one of his sermons said this, you cannot sin and not suffer from it. It just can't be done. I spent a great deal of my life trying to sin and to do away with my conscience at the same time. One of the things I like best about being a Christian is the way that I suffer when I sin. It's the test, it is the chastisement which guarantees me that I am one of God's people. I like it. It feels good. Sounds weird saying that. It feels like correction. It feels as if I am being straightened out. When I was only half believing God, he actually did come into me and make me miserable every time I sinned. And that's how I learned that he really is believable. It corrects me and puts me on the right path. So much we can learn from that ex-hippie, isn't there? Following God and his wisdom will always work out. Disobeying God and his wisdom will always be bad. So the wisdom here is, which way do you choose to turn? The Father has told us to the Son. Lady Wisdom has stood up in public and asked us the same question. Who do you turn to? God and his wisdom and all the blessings that come from that. Or we turn away from God and his wisdom. And all the sure curses that comes from it. Last thing we need to understand. We begin this turning back, this listening, this following with Jesus. The turn that Lady Wisdom was talking about here is a turn to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a turn to trusting the Father who sent the Son and the Father and the Son who sent the Holy Spirit. It's a trust in who Jesus is and the life of wisdom he calls us to in him. Many of us love to hear Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Come unto me, for my yoke is easy. And the promise of Jesus there is that he is easier on you than you are on you. Jesus will always love you tenderly. He will always correct you helpfully. He will always carry you faithfully all the way into wisdom forever. And what's the price for that ease? Whoever listens to me. Just, we all we have to do is listen to God's wisdom. That's what sets us apart to Christ where we alone are saved. What the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, if you think you are wise, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. But when we're honest with ourselves, and we're honest that listening to Christ is not always easy. We like the word whoever, because that qualif- everyone qualifies, right? Whoever is for, is for you and me. Everybody can fit within that. But it's the listening part that can be hard. Because when we listen to Christ, there's change. When we listen to Christ's wisdom, we may start to look different from our friends. We may start to look different from our neighbors. We may start to look stupid to them. And we don't like to suffer for our faith. But turning to Jesus is what turns us into safety. Jesus took these words from wisdom personified into his own mouth as wisdom incarnate. And this passage ends with the warning of a storm coming. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Remember Jesus talking about house construction? Jesus tells us to do what? Build a house upon the rock. And not upon what? The sand. 
Who's the rock? It's Jesus. As long as we build our rock, I'm sorry, as long as we build our faith upon the rock of Jesus Christ, then no matter storms of life, it will stand. But when we build it, and he said, it's the wise man who builds his house on this rock. So when the storm comes, it doesn't matter because the rock of grace will hold on to it. But it's the fool who builds it on the sand. It's the fool who tries to build his faith on the sand that says, I know better. I like my sin. There's plenty of grace for me to continue in my sin. It's that constantly shifting sand of self. And so when the storm comes, the house will always fall and it's catastrophic. So who do you choose to turn to this day? God and his wisdom through faith in Jesus Christ for a faith that's secure or to your own wisdom and the wisdom of the world that the first storm crumbles down around you and your life is a catastrophe. Who do you choose to turn to? Let's pray together.